Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Money FM 89.3. Good morning. You're here with me, Danko, on Market View. Now let's get you up to speed with what's happening in the markets. Asia Pacific stocks are trading higher this morning, with Australia leading the way up by 0.42%. Japan is up by 0.33% and Korea is closed for today. Overnight on Wall Street, we saw stocks rebounded during the regular trading session after the release of the US jobless claims last night and the Nasdaq Composite climbed 2.6% to end of the session at 10,478 points. The S&P 500 gained 1.8% to finish off at 3,849 points. And the Dow Jones Industrial Average closed 1.05% higher, and that's at 33,221 points. According to the Labor Department jobless fillings, it rose last week amid Federal Reserve efforts to cool the economy and in particular the labor market. First-time fillings for unemployment benefits totaled more than 220,000 for the week ended December 24th, and that was an increase of about 9,000 from the previous week and slightly above the 223,000 estimate from the Dow Jones. Longer-term continuing claims which run a week behind the headline number jumped 1.71 million and that's an increase of about 41,000 to the highest level since early February. And we're on to the final trading day of the year and to say that it's been a painful year for stocks would certainly be an understatement. In fact, a volatile bear market, sticky inflation and aggressive rate hikes from the Federal Reserve battered growth and technology stocks. These factors also weighed on investor sentiment. All three of the major averages are marching towards their worst year since 2008 and they are also slated to snap a three-year win streak. The Dow Jones fed the best of the indexes this year and that's down 8.58% while the S&P and tech-heavy Nasdaq tumbled 19.24% and 33.03% respectively. Thank you so much for that, Dan, getting us up to speed of the markets overnight. Dan is not alone in the studio with us. We've got Ryan Huang who will be chiming in very, very shortly. But first things first, Ryan, how are you doing this morning? Pretty good. Last day of 2022 for me to work in the office and I am... No, looking forward to the long weekend. Mm. And Ryan is smiling. Some yes. GST hike shopping. Ah, excellent. We're going to get your thoughts on what you stole a deal before the GST hike. But before that, Dan, it's been a brutal year for technology stocks. But last night's rally appears to have given investors a glimmer of hope. What can you tell us about the significance of it? That's right. Technology stocks, they are now on track to avoid its worst December ever. Just two days ago, as of Wednesday's close, the index was actually heading for its worst December since its inception in 1971. But the Nasdaq Composite Index rallied 2.6% last night, and that led to its recovery from a sell-off that pushed the index down about 11% for the month. Economic data released yesterday also showed that the applications for unemployment benefits rose slightly last week. The results also kind of relieved fears of a supercharged jobs market that would support the case for a more aggressive Federal Reserve. A decline in the 10-year Treasury yields for the first time in five sessions also kind of eased some pressures on the rate-sensitive group. And, you know, the rebound is a welcome development for tech bulls and the Nasdaq Composite has lost so far a third of its value this year 
as the Fed continued to raise rates at the fastest pace in a generation. And although it's provided a little bit of a relief, you know, the index is so far down 8.6% this month and is still headed for its worst December since the 2018 drought. And in fact, the Nasdaq Composite remains among the biggest laggards of this year with 15% of the gauge constituents down at least 80% this year. So, Ryan, 2021 was undoubtedly, you know, a dream for many tech stocks. We've seen record-smashing tech IPO year featuring the debut of some companies that even raised $10 billion or more. That's a very stark contrast to what we're experiencing this year. So, what are some of the biggest takeaways that you have from this year's Nasdaq's performance and any forecast for the next? Yeah, so it's been quite a tough year for technology stocks and you pretty much outlined how bad it was. A bit of a, well, taking profit mood for many investors after such a huge run-up. But I think next year, we could be in for, if you look at it, glass half full, a better time for tech stocks because as you've been following the headlines, many of them have been talking about layoffs. We've seen the likes of Shopee. and In the US, we had many companies like Microsoft, Google, all just tightening their belts, Facebook, and also many people in the social media space just fleeing the brunt of the slower ad spending. Uh, but I think a way to look at it is now with the layoffs being factored in, these companies can now position themselves for better growth ahead. So the buffering of profit, so to speak, um, will now be improving. So that means we could be in for better returns for the Nasdaq and some of these tech companies ahead. So these job cuts, in some sense, are lagging indicators. So the worst may be over for some of these tech firms. So maybe bright day, or at least brighter days ahead for these um, companies. Mm. Yep, certainly fingers crossed for them. That's a developing story. Money FM 89.3 will be keeping an eye on. Then let's move it slightly to European natural gas prices. And they fell this week to levels not seen since before Russia's invasion of Ukraine. What's going on here? That's right. The front month natural gas futures on the Dutch title transfer facility. And that's the benchmark contract in Europe. It plunged in recent weeks to bottom out below 77 euros per megawatt hour. And like what you've mentioned, it's a level that's not seen since February, and that's prior to the beginning of the full-scale war in Ukraine. It marks a very stark contrast to what we've seen at their peak in August, with European gas prices topping €345 per megawatt hour, as Russia's weaponization of its natural gas exports to the rest of the world It's uh, in response to the punitive EU sanctions, as well as sky-high temperatures over the summer. You know, they drove up demand while constricting supply as well. The spiking prices also sent household energy bills soaring and have fueled a cost-of-living crisis across much of the continent. But this year, we're seeing something a little bit different because the unseasonably warm weather through winter in much of northwest Europe has reduced demand for heating and allowed the continent to replenish its gas inventory. That's following drawdowns during several cold snaps over the last few months. Now, Ryan, what are your thoughts on the stability of this energy prices and where do you see it going from here? Okay, I am rather cautious around where things are going for the energy outlook because as we've seen in the past year, there have been a few surprises. Mm. Investors did not expect to see the Ukraine war playing out the way it was and we had some disruptions there and energy prices going up. Next year, we could be in for actually quite a few headwinds as well when it comes to energy prices because of the China reopening story and that could see demand spiking up. And if you look at the forecasts from S&P, uh, they expect 
what they call China's reopening to be a gas guzzler for the reopening of China to suck up more than 3 million barrels of day of oil a day. So that is the prospect of the energy crunch mm. possibly getting worse. And of course, we can't rule out more surprises from Russia, depending on how that plays out. So not an easy call when it comes to the energy market next year. Right. But, you know, having said that, you know, we've seen a lot of changes this year as well. Would you say that the EU is handling the energy crisis well enough? They are, in some sense, on the same page when it comes to a couple of things, being able to reach some consensus when it comes to uh, managing what Russia is doing Mm. and also standing their ground when it comes to standing up to Russia on some of the price caps they put forth. So on that front, you have that going, but at the same time, some member states and countries are still not willing to fully give up their sources of oil, which is Russia. Mm. So you've got that political front playing out in Europe as well that could still be an obstacle for energy prices. Uh, So something I will be watching out for very closely as uh, they try and navigate what is going to be a very tricky 2023. Mm, That's right. And yes, it's also worth noting that it raised a lot of awareness on the need to diversify supplies for several months and also help to secure record levels of import LNG and higher deliveries of pipeline gas. Yep, thank you for that, Dan and Ryan. If you're just joining us, welcome along. Money FM 89.3. It is Market View on Your Money this Friday, the 30th of December. Let's move the conversation slightly to China. And their exit from its COVID-0 policy has, to say the least, presented the rest of the world with a bit of a dilemma. But Dan, perhaps let's take a closer look at some of the bright spots that we can expect from this phenomenon called a revenge travel that's much talked about. Mm. A lot of people have been focused on the spread of COVID and the rise of different viruses and different variants as well. So Asian countries like Thailand, Japan, Singapore, they're all bracing for an influx of Chinese tourists as COVID restrictions are slowly starting to be dismantled. And while some are wary, you know, operators in other countries are preparing packages such as hot pot buffets to cash in on some of the expected spike in travel. So we're also seeing this prospect of cash-rich Chinese flocking to shopping streets across the world. And that, in fact, boosted luxury stocks this week, as China accounts for about 21% of the world's 350 billion euro luxury goods market. Wow. So that's quite a big chunk of uh, shareholders that they, they hold right there. So, in fact, as we look forward at this Lunar New Year holiday, which is typically a peak travel period for Chinese tourists as well, you know, it starts on January the 21st. Some businesses are already looking ahead and gearing up for that. I mean, we are seeing, you know, here in Singapore, we're seeing Sofitel creating Lunar New Year packages that's aimed at Chinese visitors. And in Japan, we've got tour bus firm Hato Bus saying that they would try out Chinese language tours it had halted during the pandemic with the aim of a full resumption by spring. Even Thailand is expected to benefit from this reopening. I mean, the Chinese tourists accounted for nearly a third of Thailand's visitors prior to COVID. So their pending return has you know, much of the local businesses hoping for a much-needed boost as well. But it's also worth noting that a full recovery from the crisis remains quite a bit way off, I would say, because the Thai government and industry estimates that the Chinese visitor numbers for next year would range from about 3 million to 5 million. And that's a widespread that reflects certain uncertainty over the eagerness and ability of people to travel after Beijing scrapes its quarantine on January 8th. We're talking about, you know, the rise of different variants and perhaps the possibility of country even being under lockdown again if 
you know, the cases go out of control, I would say. Some places are also tightening rules on travellers from China as infections surge there, although Thailand has yet to do so. So, remains to be seen, but I do believe that there's a lot of bright spots to watch out for as well. And most specifically, we can look at hospitality as well as services sectors, which can stand to benefit from this revenge travel. So, Ryan, do you see the benefits outweighing the costs? And which Asian country stands to benefit most from this boom? Yeah, I'm just looking at some of the studies coming out, or at least some of the surveys coming out from a few of these booking companies. And if you look at what online travel agency China has come up with, the top destinations that Chinese tourists are looking forward to going include, like you pointed out, Thailand, Japan, and South Korea. If you look at Sea Trip, they are saying the top 10 destinations are Macau, Hong Kong, Japan, Thailand, South Korea, the US, Singapore, Malaysia, Australia, and the UK. So we can expect them to be going to these places and for these places to benefit. Mm. And also worth noting is the restrictions that are now coming forth from a couple of countries. And most notably, the US leading the way, just slapping tighter restrictions on inbound travelers from China. So that could go some way towards influencing where Chinese tourists want to go. Mm. And worth noting, we in Singapore do not have any changes to our approach yet, like many other countries, including, um, worth noting, Europe has come out to say it does not support these restrictions that the US and many other countries have put forth, like Japan, the Philippines, India. Uh, They say these restrictions are unjustified, but it is going to be... An interesting debate because the U.S. says no, they are cautious because they don't trust the data coming up from China. Mm, yeah. um, but at the same time, European officials say their infrastructure and health system is able to cope with any spike in cases. So they are not that worried. So they're downplaying the significance of Omicron in Europe. And they say, you know, they are well positioned. But whereas in Italy, it's a different picture. So you can mm. kind of tell not everyone is on the same page when it comes to how to manage the China reopening story. I suppose it's a bit of a once bitten, twice shy kind of situation, right? Yeah, so definitely. would you say that the you know the people who are a little bit more concerned are not exactly as ready as those who are open to having China to come in without restrictions? It's again a matter of politics. I think mm-hmm. uh, you have the rice bowls for many people at stake here. The Chinese tourists is a huge boost to any economy. So European countries, to some extent, are under pressure to start to revive their economies because they are in pretty much a recession right now. So that's possibly going to influence any of their decisions when it comes to managing Chinese tourists and the COVID-19 situation. Mm. Uh, That's going to really see in the top of the list. And if you look at what's playing out also is the type of... um, arrangements or partnerships they have with China. So mm. this possibly will affect other business relationships when it comes to how they approach managing Chinese restrictions as well. So that is also, I think, a consideration. If they put too many restrictions, it could in fact impact other business relationships and mm. deals and agreements that they might have lined up with China. Mm. Roshan and Ryan, if you were a Chinese tourist, where would you travel? Wow. 
I mean, that's a tough one to answer in terms of a specific destination for me at least. But I'll be jumping at the opportunity to jump on a plane, I think. I, I mm. think at this point, because China has been cooped up for so long, yep. I think many people will be have been bitten by the wanderlust bug and they would mm. want to get on a plane somewhere far, somewhere distant, somewhere magical, I guess. That's nice. Ryan? Yeah, I'll go with Raushan. As far away as from China <laughs> as I would possibly get because I don't know when things might change. Yeah. Right. Certainly, this is a conversation that has many layers. We obviously cover the economic impact as we do on Money FM 89.3. Ryan touched on the political impact, but you do wonder about the social impact of Chinese tourists arriving in your country, right? There might be some form of discrimination or fear almost because I know reports have emerged that no new variant has been found just of mm. yet but the threat is real and to what you said earlier once bitten twice shy right the rest of the world is going to have his guard up as we move on from this pandemic or try to at least now let's move the conversation on to something closer to home we are currently about 24 minutes into the local trading day and last week the Straits Times index closed lower by 0.33% to end at 3,259 points Dan how is the STI performing today? That's right. Much like the rest of the region, the Straits Times Index is trading higher this morning with Straits Times Index up by 0.18% and is currently trading at 3,254 points. Thank you for that. Then we'll be monitoring those numbers throughout the day right here on Money FM 89.3. Now for the final time in 2022, we're going to play Up or Down. If you're a regular listener on the show, thank you for tuning in. You would be familiar f- with this game. I'll be picking a stock or topic. Dan and Ryan will be telling us whether it's up or down. Dan, Ryan, are you ready? Let's do this. Let's start at number one, Japfa. Japfa, this one is going to be an up for me because the group's soon-to-be ex-subsidiary of Ost Asia Groups is offering 30.6 million shares. That's prior to its listing on the stock exchange of Hong Kong. Mm. And it is actually oversubscribed. So I guess the demand is there and I'm gonna, definitely going to go with an up for this one. You agree, Ryan? Yeah, I'll go with up because of the oversubscription showing the confidence and a vote of confidence for the listing that's going to be coming up. So that is a strong showing of what might be happening on day one of this debut. Mm. Okay, Dan and Ryan in agreement with Jabfa. Moving on to number two, Manulife Read. Manulife Read. I am going to go with a down for this one mm. because the real estate valuation of its portfolio has declined to about 10.9% to 1.95 billion US dollars and that's based on the year-end valuations of this year. So certainly some dark times for this company. I'm going to go with a down. Ryan? Yeah, I'll go with down as well. So they are going through a strategic review to figure out where the REIT needs to go from here. So they are relooking, relooking their longer-term strategy mm. and this amid all the concerns around the economy, a potential recession in the US. And it is possibly going to see uh, things being shaken up. Uh, we'll see how that plays out after the review. Okay. Mm. In at number three, EC World REIT. Dan, please. EC World Read. I am going to be going with an up for this one. Oh, wow. Because the manager of EC World Read expects its existing bank loan to be repaid or refinanced before they become due for repayment. So, certainly, you know, meeting deadlines, I don't think you can go wrong with that. I'm going to go with an up for this one. Yeah, so there was some doubt over whether they could 
iron out a deal, but it looks like they have managed to figure something out. So on that front, it's progress. And mm. it does seem to suggest you know, they will be on track to pay up or refinance mm. some of their debt. So I would go with up as well. Okay, that's three down onto the final one. 2022, Dan. 2022, ah, like this one. This is definitely going to be end up for me. Okay. Yeah, and I mean, taking a look at the broader things that's happened this year, I would say that it remains a lot more applicable for people who are, you know, starting to maybe jump into the stock market or mm. start learning about how to invest in the first place. And I think it doesn't paint a better picture to start now. Because it's like what Warren Buffett has said before, be greedy when others are fearful. Mm. And I think at this point, it kind of shapes you to become an investor where you have confidence and you see value in a company when others don't. Mm. And that's when you will start to reap its rewards in future as well. So I think that's a lot to learn from this year to also not follow the crowd to be overvalued like what we've seen in 2021. So I do believe that this year has a lot to learn. I mean, there's been a lot of dark times and dark days, but I'm going to go with an up for this year. Ryan? I am a bit mixed about this. Okay. I would go with down because prices are going up. And I've seen <laughs> around me, oh, I was just at a hawker center yesterday and I've seen some, some new signs going up. Um, prices being adjusted from 3 to $4 and they call it an inflation adjustment. Wow. So there is now a name for every adjustment, right? You can call it anything you want. <laughs> so I guess to some extent they need to adjust prices, but for me, having to pay more is going to be a down. Mm. What about you, Roshan? Ryan has already given us his forecast for 2023 being a down <laughs> when we asked him about 2022. But I take Ryan's point completely on this. Overall, it does seem to be a down. I mean, my journey in finance is fairly new, so I'm going to give you a more macro answer here. And I think overall... My perspective of it is the market seemed to be on the down, personally at least, I would say on the up as we try and move on from this pandemic. I really think China opening up is a huge, huge marker mm. for the world to move on. And I think that ends the year on a positive note, despite the negative headlines surrounding the opening up just at the moment. That's very nice. It's good to see the bright spots in the bad times, but I guess 2023 remains to be seen how well we'll fare. Yep, certainly. Thank you so much, Danco. Ryan Huang, this morning for your time on Market View. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.